0: The people in general are naturally inclined to enjoy, and you have encouraged them in that way in the name of religion. This is verily condemned, and it is quite unreasonable. Because they are guided under your instructions, they will accept such activities in the name of religion and will hardly care for prohibitions. Shila Prabhupada's purport. Please listen with attention. This is quite a long one. Shilavyasadev's compilation of different Vedic literatures on the basis of regulated performances of fruitive activities as depicted in the Mahabharata and other literature is condemned herewith by Narada Muni. The human beings, by long material association, life after life, have a natural inclination by practice to endeavor to lord it over material energy. They have no sense of the responsibility of human life. This human form of life is a chance to get out of the clutches of illusory matter. The Vedas are meant for going back to Godhead, going back home. To revolve in the cycle of transmigration as a series of lives, numbering 8,400,000, is an imprisoned life for the condemned conditioned souls. The human form of life is a chance to get out of this imprisoned life and as such, the only occupation of the human being is to reestablish his lost relationship with God. Under the circumstances, one should never be encouraged in making a plan for sense enjoyment in the name of religious functions. Such diversion of the human energy results in a misguided civilization. Srila is the authority in Vedic explanations in the Mahabharata, etc., and his encouragement in sense enjoyment, in some form or other, is a great barrier for spiritual advancement because the people in general will not agree to renounce material activities which hold them in material bondage. At a certain stage of human civilization, when such material activities in the name of religion, as sacrificing animals in the name of Yagya, were too much rampant, the Lord incarnated himself as Buddha and decried the authority of the Vedas in order to stop animal sacrifice in the name of religion this was foreseen by narad and therefore he condemned such literature the flesh eaters still continue to perform animal sacrifice before some demigod or goddess in the name of religion because in some of the vedic literatures such regulated sacrifices are recommended they are so recommended to discourage they are so recommended to discourage flesh eating but gradually the purpose of such religious activities is forgotten and the slaughterhouse becomes prominent. This is because foolish materialistic men do not care to listen to others who are actually in a position to explain the Vedic rites. In the Vedas, it is distinctly said that the perfection of life is never to be attained either by voluminous work or by accumulation of wealth or by, or even by increasing the population but it is so attained only by renunciation. The materialistic men do not care to listen to such injunctions. According to them, the so-called renounced order of life is meant for those who are unable to earn their livelihood because of some corporeal defects or for persons who have failed to achieve prosperity in family life. In histories like the Mahabharata, of course, there are topics on transcendental subjects along with material topics. The Bhagavad Gita is there in the Mahabharata. The whole idea of the Mahabharata culminates in the ultimate instructions of the Bhagavad Gita, that one should relinquish all other engagements and should engage oneself solely and fully in surrendering unto the lotus feet of Lord Sri Krishna. But men with materialistic tendencies are more attracted to the politics, economics, and philanthropic activities mentioned in Mahabharata than to the principal topic, namely the Bhagavad Gita. This compromising spirit of Vyasadeva is directly condemned by Narada, who advises him to directly proclaim that the prime necessity of human life is to realize one's eternal relation with the Lord and thus surrender unto him without delay. A patient suffering from a particular type of malady is almost always inclined to accept eatables which are forbidden For him, the expert physician does not make any compromise with the patient by allowing him to take partially what he should not at all take. In the Bhagavad Gita, it is also said that a man attached to fruitive work should not be discouraged from his occupation, for gradually he may be elevated to the position of self realization. This is sometimes applicable for those who are only dry empiric philosophers without spiritual realization. But those who are in the devotional line need not be always so advised. What a wonderful purport. And there's at least four hours of commentary on Srila Prabhupada's purport here. But... um, Oh, dear, where to begin? Each of our great literatures begins with some sort of crisis and some sort of criticism. The crisis in the Srimad Bhagavatam is, of course, somebody's about to die. He only has a few days left to live. And he's got to, absolutely got to find someone who can answer his questions before his life finishes on this earth. This is it. This is his one big chance. So he's surrounded by sages, and none of them can satisfy him. Then along, of course, comes Shukadev Goswami, who is looking for the perfect person to speak to. He's looking for someone who's a suitable vehicle, a suitable receptacle for the nectar that he wants to bestow. So speaker and listener, they find each other. But it begins with a crisis, you see. And here as we find the recording of the discourses that took place. Of course, the other crisis is we've done these fire sacrifices for quite some time now. Our faces are black. but We still can't find a solution to the evils of the age of Kali. What's going on? My dear Lord, Uh, can you please uh, give us some further guidance? So there's a crisis within a crisis within a crisis. And usually somewhere along, somebody gets criticized. And this sets the scene. For why this particular treatise is um important. In the Bhagavad Gita we find Arjuna. He just says, Karpanya Dosha te make me your disciple. Okay, we're friends, but now the friendship is one thing, but now I want to be your disciple. And at that moment Krishna gets his finger out. This is the finger that he's never used with Arjuna before. But we see pictures of Krishna with his finger. So Krishna is there on the pretext, the Vyaja, of just being the chariot driver. I'm not going to take part in the battle. I'm just going to drive the horses. And Krishna every day was prepared to. Krishna did actually, you know, wash the horses, tended to their injuries, got them fresh straw, and he wouldn't even eat until the horses were, because that was his job. He said, I'm not going to fight. I'm just going to be your charioteer. But then at the beginning, <laughs> he does something that no charioteer a servant of his master, should have done. He got his finger out, and he said, well, you know your problem? He says, And he started wagging. This finger is called ahamkar. This one is called Kanishta. So this finger, he comes out, and he says, you know your problem? You're mourning for what is not worthy of grief. That's your problem. I've noticed this about you. <laughs> That's why you have a problem. So here, we also have another crisis. Now, it's this very strange crisis that leaves many devotees bewildered. Because, of course, Sri Vyasadeva is the inc- literary incarnation of God who's written the Vedas. How many of you have at some point gone out on the street distributing books and said to a person who comes, Yeah, this philosophy is in the Vedas? Okay. Okay, yeah, you put, yeah, this organization, ISKCON, is all about Vedic culture. How many of you have said that to people? Okay. Yeah. We get a lot of mileage from the Vedas, don't we? Don't we? Does anybody know what the Vedas are? See, a lot of devotees say, so, <laughs> my friend used to say, yes, everything is in the Vedas. For instance, Chaitanya Charitamrita. <laughs> no, it's the Vedas. It's all Vedic. Everything, everything the prophet wrote is Vedic. What does it mean, Vedas? What does it actually mean, Vedas? It means knowledge. But when you want to redirect someone, away from a particular branch of knowledge to another branch of knowledge, there is a certain criticism involved. But don't think that it's only the Bhagavatam. It's there in many other Vedic literatures and many other um, great sages. And it goes back to Vedic times. Vedic times. So, we... <laughs> so... uh uh, there's, there's a, there was an ongoing debate. Should a person take sannyas after having gone through grihasta life? Who says yes? Should they have experienced grihasta life and then take sannyas? Okay? Who says no? A, a brahmacharya can immediately take sannyas without having to go through grihasta life. <clears throat> <coughs> huh? <coughs> Would you be surprised if I told you that this debate goes back to the beginnings to the, back to the very beginnings and it's a debate between yagyavalkya who wrote something called the dharma sutras and bodhayana and they both had they had different opinions so vedic culture means that we have a culture where there uh, are different opinions and it's okay how about that we have different opinions and it's okay It's all right. There are some cultures that wish to have a monoculture. If you believe this, you're saved. If you don't believe this, you're going to hell. You will never ever find that in Vedic culture. But what you will do is you'll find, because it's not a monoculture, it's not a one religion fits everybody culture. It's not a one size fits all shirt to wear. Everybody has their own prescription. Just like when you go to the doctor, if you go to the doctor and you've got a stomach ache and your friend has got a throat infection, you don't expect the doctor to give you the same prescription. You'll get a different prescription from the doctor. Why? Because your problem is your throat and your problem is your stomach. So the Vedas are like a doctor because God is like a doctor. What is the disease? Bhavarog. Bhavarog, the disease of existence. Okay. But you can't handle the medicine, and this person can handle the medicine. You need this type of medicine, this person needs something else. So then, Srila Vyasadeva compiles all the Vedas, okay? And we honor him as Vyas. We honor him for compiling all the Vedas. And only after he's finished everything does his guru then come along and say, You've blown it. (laughs) You compiled the Vedas. You've encouraged people to enjoy. Now, had he not compiled the Vedas, do you think those people would have read the Chaitanya Charitamrita and been interested in the highest philosophy of bhakti? This movement of ISKCON has been trying for 45, 50 years now to encourage people to take up the highest, highest philosophy of the highest part of bhakti with the most merciful Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. How are we doing? We doing okay okay how are we doing how many people want the highest of the high okay there's not a lot is it okay you've got an answer to your question <laughs> it was kind of a rhetorical question you know <laughs> how are we doing one time someone came to Prabhupada and he said oh I've read about kshatriyas should or oh, Swamiji I have read about kshatriyas I would like to be a kshatriya for Krishna and what Prabhupada said did he say, "Oh yes, my movement has a place for everyone no he said he said he said, "There is no room in my movement for kshatriyas. It is a movement of Brahmins <laughs> so there is no room, no room <clears throat> so at that point, Prabhupada knew, unless I create a movement of Brahmins, then the whole thing will collapse." So, what is the whole thing? It is a, it is a, is ISKCON meant to be a relatively small movement where people read the Bhagavatam and go home back to Godhead? Because if that's ISKCON, then maybe we should just wait until people walk in the door because they're already enlivened in this life after Vasudeva Sarvamiti Samahatmad Sadurlabha. They've gone many, many lifetimes. And because they're looking for Krishna, like Maharaj Pariksit, they will find a fully qualified speaker, like Sukadev Goswami, or his modern day representative, and they'll just, they'll just walk into our temples. We can sit there like pythons, just waiting. This is also a technique of preaching, not preaching. Okay, you just sit there and you just wait. But what did Prabhupada say about that? He was very discouraged. When some devotees thought that this was a, a, a preaching technique. Rather, he vigorously wanted everybody to go into the airport and sell Chaitanya Charitamrita, the highest of the high. Had he not done that, of course, Chaitanya Charitamrita would not have been published because you would have had a warehouse full of books and you wouldn't have sold them, you see. So, um, we have a, a perennial dilemma. We have the highest of the high, but our customers are not so great. And then we re- we encourage ourselves by saying, Well, Srila Prabhupada said, when you're trying to sell diamonds, you know, you won't have many customers. But at the same time, we see other organizations, other movements, who are selling cheap glass becoming very successful. And they do have enough money to build their Havelis. And then we have to go to them to hire their Havelis so that we can have our Kirtan. Huh? when they had just had this big, big gathering of devotees in Carolina, in America, the Sadhu Sangha Retreat. Sadhusanga Sadhu Sangha Retreat is not in an ISKCON place. It's a Sri, Sri, Sri place because they had the cash to build the big temple. So on one hand, we need cash, but on the other hand, people are not interested in Krishna. So what do we do? So then devotees say, well, we have to come up with some other form of preaching which will engage everybody. And this seems to have a... It seems to have some credence because, of course, um, you know, if you, if you look at the spiritual, uh, marketplace, you'll see that, like many other marketplaces, like it, I'm doing this because I'm showing you a triangle. <laughs> Jagadatri, you can do this with the children. It's called <laughs> the tri- <laughs> the triangle of spirituality. Start them young. So you have a triangle. At the base of the triangle, the foundation of the triangle, you have people who are not very interested at all. A little bit later, you have people who are interested in sense enjoyment in the name of religion. After that, you have people who are interested in some form of yoga where they themselves are at the center. You know, I can engage my sensuality but do yoga at the same time. So karma yoga, ngana yoga, ashtanga yoga, then finally bhakti yoga. And the early reaches of bhakti yoga, it's pretty much just like karma yoga, isn't it? until you actually develop bhakti. So then ISKCON is then in danger of becoming a karma yoga society, unless we have people who are guiding it, who are pure devotees of the Bhagavatam. But then how do you apply mercy to a marketplace where not many people are interested in the product? So then we come out with something known as bridge preaching, which means we gradually encourage people to come across the bridge from gross sensuality to um, some forms, early forms of Krishna consciousness. So then what happens in most religious organizations, there's some criticism by people at the top of the triangle to those at the bottom of the triangle because you're, you're preaching in a way that is not pure. Okay, isn't it? You're preaching in a way that's not pure. You're getting people in on the basis of yoga or something like that. And I saw a recent criticism where someone is saying, Krishna consciousness has nothing to do with yoga. It's kind of a strange concept. You know? Krishna consciousness has nothing to do with yoga. Prabhupada would be furious if he knew that the temples were being turned into places where they were teaching yoga. Well, then you have to, dis- you have to look at the discussions that Prabhupada had in, I think, 1976 with devotees in Vrindavan, in our Vrindavan temple. He said, you can encourage people to come from Delhi, and practice yoga and at the same time give them darshan okay and there's this whole discussion about well should they wear saris when they're in the temple Srila Prabhupada is just going on. so you study that conversation so then um then we go to another conversation where Prabhupada is talking to someone in Hawaii where they just opened the first govinda's temple and Prabhupada is a little bit surprised Prabhupada is asking. I, I believe it's Alfred Ford that he's asking. He said, uh, "He said, uh, why are they, why are they taking is this prasadam? Is is it all been offered? To, yes, it's been all offered." To, he said, "But why are they paying for it?" Prabhupada couldn't understand why are they paying for this prasadam in the restaurant. He said, "Do you serve the same prasadam in the in the temple?" Yes, Sri Prabhupada. Is it for free in the temple? Yes. So why are they coming here and paying for the same thing that they could get? So Prabhupada, many, many people don't want to come to a temple to eat. They want to eat in a restaurant. He said, Oh. He said, then we should start restaurants all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I was standing out here in the corridor in uh, late 1976 when uh, you know, when the, the letter was read out in this corridor, now we have enough temples. How can, how can Prabhupada say that? There's only a hundred temples. He said, now we have enough temples. They now start restaurants. It's something we never did. Said, now we have enough temples. But what is a restaurant? It is a place where people come for sense gratification in the name of Krishna consciousness. And I read 1 5, 15, 1, 3, one five fifteen. He said, we should not encourage people just to enjoy prasadam as sensuality, but rather we should encourage them. So we'll, instead of starting restaurants, we'll start temples, because that's what Prabhupada really wanted. Okay. My dear friends, Prabhupada wanted everything. He wanted everything. He was driving in London. He saw the Natural History Museum. Natural History Museum. And he looked at it. It's a beautiful building. And very close to the Natural History Museum. I don't know whether Prabhupada knew this, but in Kensington, that was the place where the Maharaj of Tripura had promised Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati some land. It was, it was the 1930s, 33, 34, something like that. He'd promised him to buy him some land in London so that he could build the first Gaudiya temple in London. And, and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati said, I will establish, uh, Sri Lakshmi Narayan in that temple. And his disciples said, well, not Radhakrishna. He said, no. He said, the British will not understand Radhakrishna. He said, we'll establish Lakshmi Narayan. And then, of course, the land uh, events in 1936 took a different turn. So we never got the temple. But that temple is now just over the road. That place is just over the road. Anyway. So, Prabhupada was driving past the Natural History Museum, which is on the other side of the road, and he said, uh, "He said, um, he said, we should have a temple like this. <laughs> we should have a temple like this, big, big Victorian temple." And on another occasion, he said, he, "He said, he uh, said, we should have a big temple made of glass <laughs> in Regent's Park." <laughs> he says that when people are driving. Past, they can see Radha and Krishna inside the temple. (laughs) Another occasion he said, We should have a a 30 story temple here at Bhaktivedanta Manor. Another time he said, We should have another temple in London. He said, We should have a a temple in Notting Hill. He said, But Prabhupada, they thought Prabhupada doesn't understand the geography of London. He said, We should have a temple in Notting Hill. Why, Prabhupada? He said, because the people, then they can visit the temple, We can spread Krishna. But Prabhupada, we already have a London temple, and it's only four miles away from Notting Hill. And he looked at them and he said, he said, London, you can have ten temples. He said, ten temples, one city, ten temples. And then uh, George Harrison came along, and he said, no, he said, he said what you really need. <laughs> so he actually told Prabhupada, what you really need is a place like the Self-Realization Fellowship in our big headquarters in the country. So that's why we now have this place. And the deities that were meant to be in Notting Hill are on the altar here. So this was actually meant to be the second London temple. How do we combine mercy towards people who are suffering in gross sensuality, which is most of the world, with our heartfelt desire to give them the absolute truth, which is Shishirada and Krishna, the object of worship, and Harinam Sankirtan is the principal method of attaining Prema Bhakti. How do, we, how do we do that? So we look at the way Narada Muni himself. Now, Narada Muni, I don't know, you know, whether you can really trust him sometimes. He comes and he says all this, but when he gets a chance to preach, what does he do? He's preaching to uh, Magrari, the hunter. And he definitely gives them a message that is not about Sri Radhakrishna Bhakti. What does he say? He says, you know those animals that you half kill? He says, can you just kill them 100%? Just kill them completely. Here is Narada Muni preaching animal killing. Why? Because it's the next step up for Magrari. He can't understand anything else. He can't. Nobody wants to be preached to by a person who will take away their livelihood. You see? If you have to give it up, I'd like to take to Krishna consciousness, but I'm afraid of what I'd have to give up. How many people come to us and say that? What do I have to give up? And suddenly, onions become like this really precious commodity that no one can even imagine giving up huh? onions it's like the greatest sacrifice in life you know some people now I'm from Cornwall which is right there. it's the Siberia of England Maharaj it's like so far away from civilization you know it's just <laughs> they do they used to do mining there for copper and tin and everything so, and now they do farming but I'm from there I had I the only thing I knew about garlic was it was something French people had. And it made your mouth smell. And in my mind, garlic was something that you should never eat. But I'd never tasted it. So the devotees came to me and they said, oh, you have to give up garlic. And I said, well, what's garlic? <laughs> you see? So, uh, but for many people, <laughs> giving up garlic is just, know uh, oh, it's, unmen- it's unthinkable. How can I possibly do that? And Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati told the story of the Marquis of Zetland, who when he was... um, Because they had a Guru Puja, they had a Vyasa Puja ceremony. May God bless you. They had a Vyasa Puja ceremony in London, and it was attended by no less than seven people who were lords or sirs or had letters after their name. They were dealing with the very upper crust of society, so... He said to him, uh, "How can I become a devotee?" He said, "Well," and then he started telling him the regulative principles. He said, "Oh, I could never do that. So I'm attracted to Krishna, but I cannot follow your rules. What do we do? What do What do you tell somebody? So, of course, if you're a Bhagavatam preacher, niggamakalpataror, huh? niggamakalpataror." Nigga Galitam foram. Okay, this is the book that doesn't mess around. From the beginning right through to the end, it's all nectar. There's no skin. There's no seed. There's no pulp. There's no hairy bits in the mango that get stuck in your teeth. There's none of that. It's just juice all the way through from the beginning to the end. Okay. So as a preacher, I say, it's my way or the highway. Okay. How many people have taken the highway <laughs> in our history? So most what most religion what most religious organisations do, at a certain time after the founder is a memory, they split, and they split along lines which are very clearly defined. For instance, in Christianity and Judaism, okay, you have, you know, the ultra orthodox. No, they're not. They don't see themselves as ultra orthodox, but that's what people who are down in the pyramid call them. You ultra orthodox. It's a sort of a, you know, demeaning tone. So there's ultra orthodox, orthodox, reformed, <laughs> and then you go down the scale until you have people who are really accommodated. You see, people who don't practice very much. I say to many people, so I get to meet Jewish people and say, "Are you Jewish?" Oh yeah, but I'm not, you know, I'm not practicing. We don't have two fridges, something they do, you know. We we use electricity on Saturday on the Sabbath. So you are you a Catholic? Yeah, I'm a Catholic. And then their face falls. They go, but I'm not really, I'm not, you know, I'm not really, you know, not really practicing as such. Sometimes, you know. Are you Muslim? Yes, I'm a Muslim, strict Muslim. Do you know the Quran? Well, no, I've never really read the Quran. You know, you try our best. So then, what the leaders of uh, these organisations do is sometimes they, taking their, you know, taking their thing from, perhaps somebody like Narendra Muni, They begin to chastise the next level down. You know, and in our organisation, we do it in the name of Prabhupada. Okay. Prabhupada would be furious. Dot, 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 dot. Fill in the dotted line with your most precious idea or your most precious practice. Okay? is Everybody's got a Prabhupada would be furious because out comes the finger because you're not anything. It could be anything. And of course this finger, it goes from doing this and it goes downwards, and it hits the keyboard. Huh? Prabhupada would be furious. Prabhupada would be furious. <laughs> so it is possible, my dear friends. But only it's possible if you have a disciple. If you have a, if you have a disciple, then maybe the disciple will take you seriously. If the person's not a disciple, maybe they won't. But in many cases, even the disciples can't take their guru seriously. Because the guru criticizes something that they're attached to. Srila Gorky Das Babaji, he said, he said, uh, he said, you know, a man can take criticism from his wife, his mother-in-law, his uh, children. He can take criticism all his life. But if the guru once, just once, criticizes him for something, he says, then he doesn't see that disciple for the rest of his life. Okay? Nobody wants to be told what to do, and everybody is attached to a concept that is their most favorite concept. And it doesn't end when you become initiated. the Initiation is not the, the demarcation line between surrender and not surrender. People think it is. You know. When did you become initiated? Ah, oh, I surrendered in such and such a year on the 24th of June. Okay. <laughs> That's when I surrendered. Well, actually <laughs> you didn't you didn't really surrender, did you? You just got initiated. That's the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of your surrender. So we um then chastise the people who are above us. What do we say? Ah. They're just such and such Maharaj is just a fanatic. They're just a fanatic. Prabhupada would be furious. <laughs> Probably would be really annoyed if he saw this person as a fanatic. And it's possible about anything. Anything you can think of, it is possible. Because Kali Yuga will enter into a religious organization. And the first split that comes is between people who profess strict adherence and those who profess accommodation for the masses. So one person said, ah, food for life is food for death. And another person... Another, excuse me. And another person says, no, 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 we are distributing prasadam has been offered to Krishna. You don't know how many thousands of people are coming in contact with Krishna. Okay. But if everybody does this part and no one, and no one does this part, we will have a problem. If everybody does prasadam distribution and no one does this, you know, Bhagavat Saptaha and pure living, well, then we will have a problem. You've got to keep the, the triangle of the organization together. So how do we do that? Well, it must be love. The love must exist between all the different layers. Everybody must appreciate everybody for who they are. But the whole thing has to be guided by people who are following Bhagavatam principles. Otherwise, the whole triangle of the organization will shift down a notch. And so, this is, you know, th- this is what happens in religious life. We have the Church of England. The Church of England was doing well until it failed to open up branches in the new... We had something in this country. And <clears throat> can I draw myself up to my, my full height as an Englishman? Very proud I am to be an Englishman. Very situated in my bodily identity. This was the first country to have an industrial revolution. And we gave railways to the world. Nobody nobody applauded. Okay. <laughs> we gave steam engines to the world. Okay. So it was a wonderful achievement. You know, mechanization, you know, it allowed us to sell, you know, cloth, manufactured cloth to India. You see, for a long while in India, they could only use cutty. But we gave them proper cotton cloth. And what did Gandhi do? He just burned it in the streets. How grateful was that? Not grateful at all. Anyway, just recently I went and we did a preaching program in the village where Gandhi uh, visited. He only visited two places. One was London, uh, or oh, excuse me, London, Oxford, and he visited, um, this place up north, near Darwin, Accra- Accrington, like that. So he, 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 he uh, I was gonna say he preached there. But the local people, he was putting them out of a job. Because India said no more, no more British cotton. But they were very happy with him. The workers were very happy because they knew what he was trying to establish. They knew he was trying to crush the bosses. Anyway, so the Industrial Revolution came from here, and uh, we did so, uh, so many things. What was my point? How did I get onto that point? Tell me. You weren't listening? Rather go into. Huh? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I couldn't keep up. So the Church of England couldn't keep up because Birmingham went from being a little village to a big town. But all the churches were built in Norman times. You go to, Norman times means that, go into any English village, you'll see a church that was built and sort of like average between 1080, 1080, which was like 900 years ago or 1,000 years ago, up until the sort of 12s, 1,200 and something. So very, very ancient churches. And each of those came with a patch and each of those came with a, a livelihood. So if you got a church and a patch, you know, a a, a parish, and you had your congregation, then you had a living. So most people are interested in preaching the word of God, but they want to be paid as well. Something that we've never done in ISKCON, you see. And there's a great debate going on. Well, if the sannyasis can go all over the world and live off their preaching, it's not exactly... You know, getting paid for reading. They're not exactly professional Bhagavatam reciters, but they are going from temple to temple giving Bhagavatam classes. That's really how they maintain themselves. Then what about other people? Can't they do it as well? So there's a discussion going on because we really need preachers to be fixed in position. So, because otherwise ISKCON then becomes a revolving door. We have very firm, firmly situated people on the one echelon. And on the other echelons, they have not two pennies to rub together because you should not take money from ISKON. Okay, So what do you do? So we never get a paid priesthood, and that means that we never get congregational development even after 50 years. So people are thinking about these things. We're thinking about ISKCON long term. But the problem is I get very attached to my congregation. I get very attached to my congregation, and I don't go to Birmingham because there's no church there, and nobody wants to build one because there's no congregation to put in it. So then who goes there? It has to be a breakaway group from the church. So the church at that point split, and the Methodists, they took up the cities that no one was preaching in. A little while later, 100, 200 years later, the Methodists themselves had an established priesthood, okay, dealing with people who didn't quite want pure devotion to Jesus, but they wanted other things as well. Prestige and power and status and philanthropic activity and uh, Then um, uh, another group started They said, well, we will work with the poorest of the poor And that group became known as the Salvation Army You see So here you have an organization which was breaking, 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 breaking So um, Prabhupada created one thing called ISKCON the way it remains integrated is A, not criticizing someone when they're doing something else. Okay. Using Narada Muni's finger wagging as an excuse. But the other thing is to keep it all moving. To make sure the top is as pure as possible. Make sure people do actually get Krishna at the bottom. People actually have to get Krishna. Now, one criticism is that people come to a Krishna restaurant And they don't even know that it's Krishna because the design, the decor, nothing allows them to understand that it's Krishna. So that we cannot do. Otherwise that becomes, you know, I'm afraid of presenting Krishna to others. So we've got to be um, uh, straight. But at the same time, do things in such a way that we encourage people to come from the position where they are now to the next position. So this is something that's, Not exactly the purpose of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So in this this particular book, the Srimad Bhagavatam, upon which we base our life, this is for people who already want to go back to Godhead, practically speaking. Dharma projita kaitava niramat saranam satam. So don't read this book if you're interested in other activities of religion. And if you want to read this book, you can read it up until this verse, but don't read it any further. Don't read it any further. It's like Rupa Goswami says, if you do not want to lose everything, don't look at that young boy playing his flute on the banks of the Yamuna. If you're attached to anything else in the world. But now how to take a modern movement such as ours to make it relevant and to make it accessible. This is the discussion that's going on. But actually how to give Krishna in different forms. Prabhupada seemed to do everything. He kept the standards really high. But at the same time, he pushed people to think about ways in which the general public, you know, in Los Angeles, for instance, uh, when they bought the building which would become the Los Angeles temple, Prabhupada said, we can keep these, what are these called? Pews, Prabhupada. We keep the pews in so people can come and sit. And he said, and they can keep their shoes on. (laughs) keep their shoes on in a temple yes because they will come I saw that in Dallas Texas on the one side was the Govinda's restaurant and on the other side was the Radha Krishna temple so now in Texas people have big boots a lot of the men have these you know big big boots and so what they were doing they had surgical overshoes you know these blue surgical overshoes they wear in a hospital an operating theater and they'd slip those on didn't ask people to take the shoes off and they could come in for darshan oh my god what's happening because which is better that a person keeps the shoes on and has darshan or take you give them an alternative take your shoes off and not have darshan well shoes on shoes off I'm confused oh, yeah. <laughs> Some people, yeah. That is why Jagannath, on Sunday, is coming out of his temple. And even the devotees will keep their shoes on. Isn't it? For that darshan, even the devotees keep their shoes on. Why? Because if you made it a rule that devotees have to take their shoes off for Rathyatra, how many devotees would come? And Prabhupada also said... He said, these Kali Yuga pavements are not meant for bare feet. So we do Harinam. And then we go to India and we do Harinam with our shoes on. And in Jagannath Puri, the Pandas come and they say, Shoes! 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 chappal, chappal, chappal." Why are you doing Harinam, the purest of the pure, and you still have your chapels, which is stepping everywhere, you see? So... ISKCON could become a self-righteous, self-critical organization in which everybody's criticizing everybody else for not being what they think they should be, or we could remain together. Now, verses like this, we have to understand the meaning behind it. If Bhagavatam is to be written, you have to have this as the criteria. So he's getting he's getting a criticism here that you have encouraged people... But why didn't he come earlier? Narada Muni is the son of Lord Brahma. His brother is Atarva. Lord Brahma speaks to Atarva all the Vedas, which are precisely for encouraging people to do things. So, so why didn't Narada Muni come earlier? Why didn't he go to his father and said, "Father, you're just encouraging people in the name of." religion to do this why did he leave it till this point because at this point the Bhagavatam needed to be written but the Vedas also needed to be written why because people are attached to Maya and how to prize them away from Maya but if that's all you ever do then we have a problem because no one will even those who want to will never discover bhakti so at this point Narada Muni then comes forward and instead of Saying, well done, well done, my dear disciple, you've encouraged people. He, he criticizes him. But remember that he's coming at a certain point. Okay. So just like, oh, such and such uh, Swami, you have encouraged all your brahmacharis to get married. Maharaj, can I please speak to you for a few moments? You have encouraged all your brahmacharis to get married. Now no one is distributing books because they all have to make money for their griha. Do you really think that you've done the right thing? Oh yeah, maybe I didn't do the right thing. But it's in the shastras. It's in the shastras. It's Vedic culture. They should get married. I haven't done anything wrong. But Maharaj, now none of them are distributing books. Well maybe there's half of them I should have encouraged and half of them. yes, Maharaj, that would have been better. See? So there's this this type of thing. Is that is that, am I right? So I've gone over time, but I would like your questions and comments, please one or two questions I will take from Maharaj if I've spoken out of turn, please chastise me as Narada Muni chastised vyasadeva We're just trying to see our way clear. To have a practical and marj he's also sitting on the front row here. I want to encourage him his social, social and spiritual activities as well. You see.
1: <laughs>
0: ah. This is for those who are watching at home. This is Bhakti Rasa Mrita Swami from. Uh, India, he's speaking. He said, you are, "He said the, we are talking of unity and diversity. Go ahead, Maharaj.
1: And especially in a movement where there is a lot of philosophy and application of philosophy in times that are always changing, there are going to be differences of opinion and approach. Mm. And uh, I think you've, by the analogy of the pyramid, uh, concisely summarized everything, that this is how all institutions or movements will be. So that was a very nice point. Um, <clears throat> one thing of which I I was seeking your opinion on is that <clears throat> what what is a movement identified with? At which level of of the practice, which stands for the movement? What 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 is the one that? Identifies that this is the movement at which level on the pyramid. Mm. For example, if there are people at a certain level, midway, and they have a certain diluted practice, and people will think, "Well, this is how it is. This is." Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah, Marge is talking about how. Uh, how we are perceived. And of course, in one sense, we're not in control of this. We're not in control of this. Many, many years ago, myself and friends, we used to go to a town where George Harrison came from. And all the Beatles, the Beatles musical group came from, called Liverpool. We used to preach there. And um we would encourage people at that time to do Bhagavad Gita readings and kirtans in their home so there was one flat one second story flat and uh, they would have uh, you know sort of occasional gatherings there you know and there was a fire at one time they've left some candles on the altar burning and the the, the Liverpool newspaper uh, um, had the headlines Hare Krishna temple burns down okay so it wasn't the Hare Krishna temple, it was a group of friends. But for that city, they were the representatives. And so they were taken as, this is the movement, your your movement. And people would tell us, oh, I'm so sorry, your temple in Liverpool burned. Um, People will uh, take our image um, at where their perception intersects with the local representation of Krishna consciousness. Um, Many, many years ago, 98% of our devotees lived in temples. They lived communally. And they all had the same clothing, haircut, forehead decoration. And we all spoke the same language, basically, and had the same magazines and leaflets and books that we distributed. Um, Now that statistic has been reversed. Only 2-3% of our membership lives communally and looks like that. And 98% looks like something else. So now people will say, oh, Hare Krishna. Oh, Hare Krishna, I saw you. What you believe in. And they will automatically say that. Um, Which means that whatever image that we want to um, give to the public, we have to make sure that that's the predominant image. And, um you know, therefore there's a, there's a, there's a, there's always a little bit of a tension between, in any company, you know, what the company is like and what the company wants itself to be known as. There's a, uh, there is a, there's an organization in this country called Gr- Greenpeace, Greenpeace. And uh they go out and they um they tried to do environmental protection they're very active in, in, in um, and and one poster campaign they had was um, uh, it was a very small rubber dinghy with three people going out to tackle a big whaling a whaling ship and that was the poster so billboards all over the country showed this but then actually someone said, actually do you know what?" of the money does not go on people in dinghies tackling whaling ships. 98% of the money goes on, you know, other types of propaganda activity, office work, maintenance, paying staff, all that kind of thing. So when some people discovered that, that their money was going not to this, the end product, but to this, then they became very troubled and we have the same thing that you know 98% of the money which comes here and into that box there in front of the deities in one sense doesn't go directly to vaikunta but it goes to paying electricity water gas staff like that but the image that we want to project is in fact the one that this is what we do this is the most important thing so again it's a pyramid of a pyramid of funding and a pyramid of perception but it's up to the organization to show really the uh, the image of itself that it wants the world to embrace so that we do in magazines like you know we used to have a magazine called who are they and the image the image of the Hare Krishna was the shaven-headed male saffron robes and the the, the the colorful woman in the sari that's still the image that we want to project only two or three percent of the organization actually looks like that But that's the image that we want to sell to the world the the, the, the problem with that is sometimes your own members stop believing that image Because then we all know the facts that most people don't look like that and most people don't sing and dance in the street and Govinda here is trying to get people to sing and dance in the street, whatever they're wearing So, you have to look after your own members and acknowledge the legitimacy of a person who is, who who doesn't jump up and down in saffron robes. You have to say, your life and your membership of the organization is worthwhile. And we greatly value you. But at the same time, hope you don't mind, this is the image that we want to project to the world. It's a delicate balance, isn't it? Delicate balance. On the other hand, then some people, whether they're in communications or something, they want to project. They want to project an image to the world of mum, dad, two children, car. Um, you know, you know, um, happy, happy family, and that's the image also that gets into Back to Godhead magazine. Just see this person has hair. He's a doctor, works in a hospital, and there's always we always do this in the Back to Godhead magazine. Here's a picture of him. You know offering rt in his home with his T here's a picture of him in the operating theater See see you can be like this and you can be like this. He's a real person as well You don't have to be just a cult member. He's a real person as well. We so we have this tension We have this tension ourselves. We're, we're not quite sure what to show to the world And then other times we try to show what we think people will be most impressed by which then tends to alienate other kinds of members so, we all have to understand each other, and we all have to um, uh, project that which will uh, help us help us the most. But we are finding that even though generally speaking the tenor of prabhupada's purports suggest that our organization should never become a philanthropic organization when we do do philanthropy. It's very successful. <laughs> thousands upon thousands of pounds, dollars, rupees are given for philanthropy. And then that does help our other activities. But at a certain point, what happens, dare I suggest, is that the people who are doing the philanthropy, then they say, well, we're not really ISCON. You know, we're a philanthropic organization called usually you know food for life or food for all or food for somebody or you know um, um, what is it called in south india the uh, the patra akshaya patra you know we're not comes so then that's where the triangle sort of the phil- philanthropy which should be there for people who are impressed by philanthropy separates itself usually with all good cause you know for managerial clarity we separate ourselves from the temples then the next generation of people, they don't join ISKCON. They join a philanthropic organization with another name, another style, and then we lose the bottom of the pyramid. So there is danger that ISKCON could be left as a group of people studying the Bhagavatam somewhere in an old crumbling temple, which doesn't attract any funding because it's too pure. It doesn't do anything. And, you know, when Prabhupada was in Bombay and he was going around with Giriraj Swami and they went to visit the temple that he um, paid money towards, it was still the same four four godbrothers from the 1950s still there. And Prabhupada got back in the taxi or back in the uh, temple car and he, he was very angry. The devotees didn't quite work out why he was angry. He said, for the past 40 years, they have been there. They've done nothing. They've expanded nothing. They've just maintained themselves. So he didn't want that. So Prabhupada had a big task for us to do. He wanted as many people as possible and as many temples as possible, a very broad-based mission, but one in which all of our efforts would be to move everybody upwards, 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 upwards. So that seems to be what Vyasadev had already done. He'd taken the meat eaters and said, okay, eat meat, but eat meat, you know, once a month. And you've got to whisper into the goat's ear, Mamsha, sure you know, You'd do that. And then Narada Muni comes along, who himself had already said, kill the whole animal. That's an example of his preaching. Kill the whole animal. Don't just kill it half. And now he's criticizing him. But he's criticizing him after that had already been written. Which is my point here. I'm making the point that it needed to be written. And now it only waited until it had been written, till everything has been written, before he came and said, actually, you shouldn't have done that. What you should have done is written this. See? So unless you have the this, unless you have pure Bhagavatam and a movement which is based on pure Bhagavatam principles, The other stuff can't belong to it. But we we have to be extremely careful that, you know, like a train, we're pulling all the different carriages. The train is the part where the engine is. And the link between the train and the carriage and one carriage and another carriage and another carriage and another carriage, that's Vedic civilization. If the train somehow looks upon the carriages and say, what do they do? They don't do anything. None of these carriages have ever done anything in their life. Look at them. They just need us pulling them. You see? Then you, then you don't get anything. And there's one lecture where Prabhupada criticized the Brahmins in India. He said, because many, many people, he said, the lower, the lower castes, they need the Brahmins to guide them. This is how Vedic culture, the triangle of Vedic culture works. So he's saying they need people to guide them. But the Brahmins failed to do this. Therefore, the lower castes become Christians and they become Muslims because the Brahmins were not doing their job. So then there's this disengagement from the Brahmins who should have been. Because the Brahmins were too interested in being pure to reach out and touch someone else. And as soon as that happens, then you lose people. Anyone who's too pure that I can't speak to you, I can't touch you, I can't engage with you. you "Well, then I'm not interested in you. Compassion. Is the link. Compassion is the link, you see. And that's the proper calls it the expertise of preaching. The expertise of preaching is to, what did he say? Catch the fish without becoming wet yourself. Okay? In other words, to be able to preach to people who have much lower motivation in bhakti than yourself, but to not become converted by them. So we don't want to see sannyasis. Growing hair and wearing an earring, just one earring and wearing jeans in order to get down with the kids and uh, you know that expression to get down with the kids so the vicar says you know you know i 'm I'm, I'm really with the kids, they really trust me I, in order to preach we don 't want to see that we have to stay uh, principled according to our own principles, but at the same time, somebody has to do that, so the train. Can only be a train. The engine can only be an engine. But the carriages can only be the carriages. They need to be pulled along. So everything has to. So the whole, ca- the whole, the whole train and the engines and the, the, and the carriages have to be pulled along. And we have to keep the wheels turning. But it's very um risky. There's great risk involved. Okay. I don't know whether that solved anything, but it's. It's purity at the top with compassion. And at the bottom, people who know what purity looks like and who are trying hard. It seems to that it will, you know, I'm trying. I can't do it, but I am trying. (laughs) Hare Krishna.